Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. Capitalism does not have any duration. It does not exist outside our activity. If capitalism exists today, it's not because it was created 100 or 200 years ago. If capitalism exists today, it is because people are producing it today. Welcome to this week's edition of Latin Ways. We speak to John Holloway, author of Crack, Capitalism, and Changing the World Without Taking Power. He speaks about the role of the individual in perpetuating a system based on capital and consumption. As John puts it, the question we should be asking ourselves is not how do we defeat capitalism, but why do we keep reproducing it every day? John Holloway is the author of uh, Crack Capitalism, uh, Change the World Without Taking Power. He's also the author of Zapatista, Rethinking Revolution in Mexico and Global Capital, National State and Politics of Money. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, in your book, Crack Capitalism, your latest book, you argue that radical change can only come about through creation, the creation and expansion and multiplication of cracks in the capitalist system. Can you give us an example of how an average person create cracks in this system? I, I think we do it all the time, in fact. Um, as a way into talking about that, there was something that really caught my attention in the email that you sent me, where at the bottom of the email, and I suppose at the bottom of all the emails that you, that you send, there's a quotation from Arundhati Roy, which says, Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On the quiet day, I can hear her breathing. I mean, that seems to me an absolutely beautiful quotation. I didn't know it at all. But it seems to me that that is what I'm trying to do in the book, to listen to the breathing of, of this other world, this other possible world. And I think that breathing is actually something that... Um, is present in all of us and present in, in, in our everyday lives. So I think central part of my argument is really that there is nothing special about being anti-capitalist, that we are all anti-capitalist in one way or another. I mean, some of us are very committed and conscious of, of, of being anti-capitalist. Others just see it in terms of decency, in terms of um, love, in terms of the way, the sort of way we want to relate to the people around us. Uh, so you can think of this other world that is breathing. You can think of it, say, in terms of the Zapatistas, who were very, and on a, are on a very big scale and a very clear project to actually create another world here and now. But you can also think of it in terms of a gardener. I mean, somebody who just cultivates a garden in order to create a different world with a different relationship with the, the, the plants. I mean, a relationship with other forms of life that goes against the, the dreadful destruction of life that capitalism implies. One of the things that I say at the beginning is really that the book is the story of many, many people, of millions, perhaps billions, 
It is the story of the composer in London who expresses his anger and his dream of a better society through the music he composes. It is the story of the gardener in Cholula who creates a garden to struggle against the destruction of nature, of the car worker in Birmingham who goes in the evenings to his garden allotment so that he has some activity that is meaning and pleasure for him, of the indigenous peasants in Ovantik Japas who create an autonomous space of self-government and defend it every day against the paramilitaries who arrest them, of the university professor in Athens who creates a seminar outside the university framework for the promotion of critical thought, um, of the friends in Porto Alegre who, who form a choir just because they enjoy singing, of the theatre director in Vienna who decides she will use her skills to open a different world to those who see her plays, of the radio presenter in Vancouver, I could have added, who creates a program in order to, to open up other types of discussion that go against the logic of capitalism, of um, you know the people who just uh, try and cre create relations with the people around them that don't follow the logic of money, that don't follow the logic of profit. And if you think of anti-capitalism in that way, you begin to see that really all the time we're trying to break with this logic that we know is destroying the world and that we feel all the time as something oppressive and alien. You know, so that these kind of little spaces or little mo moments I call cracks because they seem to be cracks in the, the in the logic of capitalist development. The processes of negation and creation, processes in which we say, no, we don't want capital, we want to create something else. So it's really going beyond shouting against the capitalists and trying to create, begin to create um, the other world that we so desperately need. But we don't do it, seems to me, on a big scale. We do it sometimes on a big scale, but lots of times we do it on a small, very small scale, just with friends, say, creating a community garden. And sometimes we just, they're not necessarily cracks in space, they can be cracks in time. You know, now in this, in the half hour of this interview, or however long we take, you know, our concern is really how do you bring to life this other world that we can hear breathing? How do we nurture it? How do we create something different? Not how do we make money for the next half hour? How do we go in a different logic? And I suppose that most of your listeners are really thinking in the same terms. The book is about um, how you can hear the breathing of the other world through these cracks, through these different moments of negation and creation. But not only that, also to think about the problems that they face, because although it's clear that these cracks are very inspiring and very exciting, it's also very clear that they have very big problems, precisely because they run counter to the logic of capitalist development. Um, so I'm trying to think on, on the one hand, kind of sing a song of praise, I suppose, for the cracks, and on the other hand, to think, yeah, we we mustn't romanticize them too much, because they are within the context of a capitalist society that is running on a mad 
chase towards the destruction of human humanity altogether. So how do we actually think about that clash between the two logics? Um, and how do we nurture and give strength to the cracks that begin to open a different world? In invariably, people are kind of associating capitalism with freedom and democracy. And this problem with using the language interchangeably really travels me because I don't think that this is the case. I think that the language has been co-opted. And when we talk about freedom, we are talking about choices. We're talking about market choices. And within a choice uh, based society, those with more money have more choices. Those with wealth have power to decide, and the rest of us are not invited to the table to make decisions. So I wonder if you could focus on the myths that sustain capitalism. What are some of those myths, and what prevents us from looking beyond uh, creating something new and imagining, as you point out, using our creativity to imagine something new? I suppose I think that possibly the strongest myth that sustains capitalism is simply the idea that there isn't any alternative, that we can't, that the idea that we can't change it. I mean, it just seems to me so obvious now that capitalism is an absolute disaster. I mean, it's an absolute disaster, not only because of the way in which it creates um, great inequalities, but I mean, we all know now, I think, that if we don't break with capitalism, then it is very, very likely that the human life will not last for very long. Uh, I mean, we know what capitalism and its dynamic is doing to the na to nature, to, to the natural preconditions of our own existence. We know the sort of violence that it's creating. We know the inequality. We know the stress of, the stress that we live through at work every day. Okay, I mean, they're kind of myths of freedom and democracy, but we know also that the political system is a farce. We know that elections are not going to change things radically. We know that uh, freedom is, is, is limited by, by money, that it's a farcical freedom. I suppose what I feel is um, perhaps what we should do is think that really most of us know that capitalism is a disaster. What we don't see or what is the existence of alternatives, and the existence of alternatives not only are not so much in terms of great revolutions, but the existence of alternatives in the way in which we do things every day. I mean, if we go to go out for a meal with friends, for example, right? this is in many ways normally an anti-capitalist process. I mean, not in the sense that we're going to steal the food. I mean, maybe we will, but that's that's not what I was thinking of. Just in the sense that we sort of discuss together democratically. Well, where will what type of food would we like? Where will we go to eat? Um, what time will we meet? And so on. I mean, it, that kind of push towards self-determination is actually part of very deep part of our everyday lives. And it is something that runs counter to the 
determination of decisions by money and by profit. My feeling is that really left discourse much at the time concentrates too much on denouncing capitalism. I think that is important. I mean, I think it is important all the time to say what an awful, an awful system it is and how unjust and to point this out in detail. But I think perhaps it's more important at the stage at which we're at at the moment, it's more important to say, well, yeah, I mean, capitalism is, is, is just an awful system. Capitalism is our suicide. What are we going to do about it? We can no longer think in terms of revolution in 50 years' time. That's silly. What are we going to do about it now? How do we come out of capitalism now? How do we nurture this other society or other world that, that we can hear breathing, according to the, the quotation from Aaron Betty Roy? One of the uh, key components that you're describing about an alternative is to begin asking the question, um, if we're not going to be organized in a hierarchical way where we're abiding uh, to some political official or someone who is elected and by you know, by that we dismiss our own responsibility, then I guess what you're proposing is to create something where we're horizontally organized and also equally responsible for the outcomes of whatever we put in place. And the biggest uh, obstacle to seeing a world that's not based on a, on a hierarchy and a, and a, and a structure of dominance of, you know, of men over women or of, uh, manager over worker, et cetera, um, is usually the idea that we can possibly organize ourselves and be able to resolve conflicts if we're all equal. How do we bridge that gap then? Because that's another, I think, obstacle that we face. We've been so accustomed to seeing ourselves in this hierarchy, seeing the person at the top as having this almost unchallenged uh, authority. And, and we give legitimacy without questioning. Why? Why do we do that? You know, and could we do it differently? I suppose three answers occurred to me. Firstly, the example I gave a moment ago, I mean, just look at our own lives and look at the way we decide things in lots and lots and lots of instances. It's not hierarchical. We actually have a daily practice of horizontalism. We have a daily practice of trying to find common solutions together. Secondly, I think, if you look at the social movements, or the, the anti-capitalist movements, especially of the last 15, 20 years, well, before that as well, but it's become an important theme of the last 15, 20 years. If you look at the Zapatista movement in Chiapas, if you look at the uprising in, in Argentina uh, at the beginning of the decade, if you look at movements all around the world and the way in which they are placing emphasis on developing different sorts of forms of organization precisely to encourage people to, to participate fully or to articulate their views fully, to um, reach decisions that, that we all share, then I think you can learn from that experience, I mean, just how well horizontal decision-making can work or does work in the vast majority of cases. And the third point, I think, is simply that 
we can't go, I mean, it's clear we can't go on the way we're going. Now, if we go on the way we're going, it's really quite likely that, that, that we'll destroy the world or destroy human life on the world. In some sense, we have to assume our own responsibility for the future of humanity. You know, we can no longer say, well, it's the responsibility of the leaders, it's the responsibility of um, the president or the prime minister or the politicians or the leader of the party or the revolutionary leaders. No, when you're kind of faced with catastrophe, then the only possible thing is to to, to take our own, our own responsibility. What inspires your work? I suppose what we all see around us is, on the one hand, a system of social cohesion, a kind of coherent system that seems to knit together so logically, so rationally, and so terribly destructively. Uh, I mean, that we, we want to scream. It's difficult to watch the news on television, for example, without wanting to, to scream. So that's on the one hand. And on the other hand, I suppose, what we also see around us, really all the time, is struggles against this system, fantastic struggles lots of times, or just tiny little struggles which are also fantastic as well. Um, I suppose that's what, what inspires my work. And then, yeah, obviously just thinking about that and reading about that and reading and reading people who are thinking about that. I was interviewing uh, Bruce Dixon, and he was talking about how if a corporation were truly human, the corporation VP, for instance, the one responsible for the spill in the the Gulf of Mexico, would be now about 120 years. And he points out how these organizations are immortal and their actions are often exclusive excluded from the responsibilities of other human beings. So as as you're talking about what inspires you, as you're talking about the way we we are changing, we, the way we are struggling, the, the, the legacy of resistance, I think about the connection, right? The connection of people becoming awakened to this world that has sort of inverted, co-opted our language and used it against us, you know, where we're giving rights to corporations to pollute and kill people openly, um, where we're giving a mass industry like militarism the right to use our wealth that, we, that we'd like to use for health and education to kill others and bring disaster t- to the lives of millions in, in other places, you know, people who, uh, who have, like us, brothers, sisters, mothers. Um, so it, it's important to, that we look at this, at this stage, I think, not only as a turning point, but also as, as a key catalyst for what moves us to act. In your book, you call us to action. What would you ask people to do? What, what do you hope will come out of people reading your book? I'm not sure if I call people to action. I think what I want to do really is for us to recognize that we are already acting in lots of ways. Um, you know, that also things that we consider insignificant are very often the creation or the possible creation of a different world. I suppose what I'm trying to do is say, look, 
that the answer really lies with ourselves, that lies with ourselves, because the problem is not the corporations. The problem is ourselves. The problem is that on the one hand, we are creating capitalism. And on the other hand, we are also trying to, to do something else. We are creating capitalism because the, the, the fundamental problem is not actually capital. The fundamental problem is the labor that creates capital. If you think of these cracks, if you think of these, this breadth of the, the other possible world or these different areas of breathing of the poss other possible world, then you can see really that they're distinguished by the attempt to create a different sort of activity, different sorts of relationships, different sort of logic. Okay. On the other hand, we know that we also labor. Most of us have to sell our um, labor power, our ability to work to capital in order to produce things that will sell or in order to promote in some way the conditions of capitalist reproduction. Okay. So we're kind of caught by this bifurcation, if you like, of this, this antagonism between capitalist labor, the labor of actually producing and reproducing capital on the one hand, and developing an activity that makes sense to us on the other hand. So the way I see um, the possibility of change and the way in, way in which I see what's happening at the moment is in terms of a revolt of doing against labor. I think more and more over the last 15, 20 years, we have come to understand that the struggle against capital is not the struggle of labor against capital. It is, in fact, the struggle against the labor that produces capitalism. In other words, the struggle is to, to reject the sort of activity that produces the corporations, that produces, of course, the weapons, that produces commodities, um, and to try and develop an activity that simply that has sense for us, I think. It's an activity that we consider useful or necessary. And I think we're all in that. I mean, you're producing and the host to this program, but you're doing it because this is an activity that has sense to you. Now, I'm a university professor, okay, in that sense I, I sell my labor power and I get paid for it, um, and I have to go through certain hoops that I hate. But I also try and develop my activity in a way that um, makes students critical in a way that I enjoy, in a way in which the focus of teaching and of learning really becomes the question of how we can move on, how we can overcome capital. I assume that all our listeners are caught in this sort of antagonism that actually cuts through us. I mean, we are schizophrenic just by the fact of living in an, in an antagonistic society. We are schizophrenic. So the question of how we strengthen the cracks is the question of how do we strengthen our own doing against labor? How do we actually um, turn our activity more and more against labor? And that actually takes us into a whole, I mean, part of the argument is that labor brings with it all sorts of things, historically and logically, that labor or what Marx calls 
abstract labor, capital-producing labor, brings with us a certain form of sexuality, a certain form of relation to nature, a certain concept of time, a certain um, for certain forms of organization. And that if we try to break, break that, as we are doing, if we break with that, then what we do is we develop other forms of sexuality, other forms, other forms of relation with nature, other concepts of time, um, other forms of organization. And I think that's what's happening in the anti-capitalist movement at the moment, that there is a kind of a, a deep shift taking place. And the deep shift is actually has as its access the rejection of labor and the, the, the understanding of anti-capitalism not as the struggle of labor, but the struggle of a different type of activity. Um, a central point of that is the question of time. Capitalist labor is really tied up very much with the notion of clock time, uh, with the idea that time is something outside us, that time is something that moves forward independent of our activity. And that is what gives us the idea that capitalism exists from one day to another to another. Whereas really the problem is to, to break that concept of time and to understand that no, time is not depend, independent of our activity. Capitalism does not have any duration. It does not exist outside our activity. If capitalism exists today, it's not because it was created 100 or 200 years ago. If capitalism exists today, it is because people are producing it today. So that means that the question of, of revolution, the question of how to break with capitalism, it's not the question of how do we break, how do we abolish something that exists. It is really the question of how do we stop producing capitalism? How do we stop making capitalism? And the only way in which we can stop making capitalism is by creating something else. And I think that, uh, I mean, it may sound a very roundabout or complicated way of saying it, but I think that's actually what's happening. I mean, it's really this awareness that it's not the question of building up the great organization. It's not a question of overthrowing the state. That's not revolution. Revolution is actually saying, well, no, we're not going to act in that way. We're not going to labor. We're not going to structure act our activity from one day to another in terms of the needs of capital. We are going to do something else. We're going to, we're not, we're going to stop making capital. For people listening to this, you know, it, it seems like an alien idea to consider that we create capital by becoming commodified uh, units ourselves, right? By allowing ourselves to become just another form of commodification the way we are, we made our life available and, and act in the workplace without uh, a connection to the, how that impacts all the other aspects of our lives. The Industrial Revolution had this many ideas that, you know, it will bring us leisure, that with all this technology that people will work less. But you're right. Instead, we are producing more. We're constantly producing more that feeds and uh, maintains the structure of capitalism. How can people access your book? People in charge of the distribution are Fernwood Books. 
That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today, John. John Holloway is my guest. He is the author of many books, including, well, his book, Change the World Without Taking Power, Zapatista, Rethinking Revolution in Mexico and Global Capital, National State and the Politics of Money, and his latest book, Crack Capitalism. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you very much indeed, Sylvia. Take care. Thank you. We have come to the end of our program. Latin Waves is a weekly syndicated program available to campus and community radios. Please visit our website, www.latinwavesmedia.com, to hear previous shows, connect to our media projects, and access other resources, or to support our efforts by making a safe PayPal contribution. I am Sylvia Richardson. Thanks for listening.